Hey, it's Mike, and I just want to say thanks for checking out my podcast. I hope you like what I have to say. And if you do like what I have to say in the podcast, then I guarantee you're going to like my books. Now, I have several books, but the place to start is Bigger, Leaner, Stronger if you're a guy and Thinner, Leaner, Stronger if you're a girl. I mean, these books, they're basically going to teach you everything you need to know about dieting, training, and supplementation to build muscle, lose fat, and look and feel great without having to give up all the foods you love or live in the gym grinding through workouts that you hate. Now, you can find these books everywhere you can buy them online, you know, Amazon, Audible, iBooks, Google Play, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and so forth. And if you're into audiobooks like me, you can actually get one of them for free with a 30-day free trial of Audible. To do that, go to www.muscleforlife, that's musclef.com forward slash audiobooks, and you can see how to do that there. I make my living primarily as a writer, so as you can imagine, every book sold helps, so please do check out my books if you haven't already. Now, also, if you like my work in general, then I think you're going to really like what I'm doing with my supplement company, Legion. As you may know, I'm really not a fan of the supplement industry. I've wasted who knows how much money over the years on worthless junk supplements and have always had trouble finding products that I actually liked and felt were worth buying. And that's why I finally decided to just make my own. Now, a few of the things that make my supplements unique are, one, they're 100% naturally sweetened and flavored. Two, all ingredients are backed by peer-reviewed scientific research that you can verify for yourself because we explain why we've chosen each ingredient and we cite all supporting studies on our website, which means you can dive in and go validate everything that we say. Three, all ingredients are also included at clinically effective dosages, which are the exact dosages used in the studies proving their effectiveness. And four, there are no proprietary blends, which means that you know exactly what you're buying. Our formulations are 100% transparent. So if that sounds interesting to you, then head over to legionathletics.com. That's L-E-G-I-O-N athletics.com. And you can learn a bit more about the supplements that I have, as well as my mission for the company, because I want to accomplish more than just sell supplements. I really want to try to make a change for the better in the supplement industry, because I think it's long overdue. And ultimately, if you like what you see and you want to buy something, then you can use the coupon code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and you'll save 10% on your first order. So thanks again for taking the time to listen to my podcast, and let's get to the show. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the podcast. And in this episode, I interview someone that doesn't really need an introduction uh, to us fitness folk, at least, but I'm going to do it anyway. So my guest is John Romanello, and he's the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Engineering the Alpha. And uh, he's also the founder of the multi-million dollar multifaceted fitness business that he calls Roman fitness systems, and he's kind of one of the grand poobas or the anointed ones of the fitness industry as a whole, super connected, uh, super successful, and a super cool guy. Now, we're not going to talk fitness or business, though. Instead, we linked up to discuss something else altogether, and that's how you and I can use the brilliant and groundbreaking work of a rather obscure comparative mythologist to live better lives. 
Now, the work is codified in the book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which was written by the mythologist Joseph Campbell, and it has served as a template for some of the most popular and timeless stories ever told, ranging from King Arthur to Moby Dick to Star Wars, Harry Potter, and many, many others. Uh, Now, I know that might sound incredibly abstract and kind of inapplicable to our lives, but Bear with me because John really does an amazing job making the material accessible and practical, so I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. And, I mean, honestly, it's, it's really not a stretch to say that our conversation can be the nudge or the call to adventure, which you'll learn more about in our interview, uh, that leads to incredibly positive changes in your life. So with that, let's get to it. John, thanks for coming on the show. I'm excited for this. I am too, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to, to chat with you. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Um, so obviously, you're best known for everything you've been you've done in the in the fitness industry, and you know, New York Times bestselling author, and you have a, a big um, brand, I guess you could say, of, of fitness things. Uh, sure, which, yeah, that's, which that's like, a great way to put that, it. That's how you when people ask me, "What do I do?" That's my answer. I'm like, I do health and fitness things. I do stuff and with health and stuff. Yeah, yeah like that's great. whatever books and things and whatever books and stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but I'm excited because in this, you know, what we're going to be talking about here is is different, which is is cool because it's, it's also I wanted to I want to change a little bit of the direction of the podcast. Like I'm going to stick to doing health and fitness things, of course, and talking about that kind of stuff. But uh, I think branching out to um, I guess just the bigger subject of self improvement is something that I, I myself am personally interested in. And I like talking to people like you that have interesting ideas and can articulate themselves well. Well, you know, I think I think that um, it's actually a very natural progression for um, both fitness professionals and people who get involved in fitness as enthusiasts and consumers, right? You like begin this process of change for your body and you start the um, this cycle of learning, whether it is, uh, you know, like in, in our case from a sort of academic perspective so that we can disseminate information or in the case of, of the people who read your stuff or my stuff, they're reading all of our information and applying it to their own lives. And then there does come a certain, I don't think anyone is ever, ever like, satisfied or has a perfect body. But I do think that if you're consistent within, you know, two to four years, pretty much going to get to within 10% of your genetic potential. And at that point, that drive to improve doesn't really go away. And you start looking at other things. And so for me, you know, I started with the fitness stuff. And then once I had sort of like mastered that, um, I was like, well, how do I use these qualities that I've developed in terms of discipline and dedication and an application of knowledge to other things? And for me, the first thing that I did outside of that was building a business. And obviously, you've done that as well. But I think that uh, there are so many people who can take what they learn in fitness and apply it you know, to their relationships yeah. or, or to you know, going back to school. I know a lot of my, my clients, young guys in their 20s, who um, – had dropped out of college because they didn't know what they want to do. And then after the fitness stuff, they found direction. And not only were they able to go back to school, they were so much more successful because they built up all these habits. Mm-hmm. And I think it's hugely successful. So for guys like you and me, I think it comes to a point where, you know, how many articles have you written for, for Muscle Life? We actually just looked at this recently. I think it was around 400. Right. Yeah. So you know, I've got about four or 500 on Roman fitness systems, not counting what I've written for men's health, men's fitness, teenage, you know, everything else. And, so, and, and books. I mean, that takes a little bit of time right, too. Right. Like, so I, then I got alpha, I have like eight eBooks. I, you know, I'm not, it's, it's not, I don't, I never want to say I'm done with fitness, but I have more or less said what I have to say. Right. Right. 
And I think we all get to that point. And then it's like, well, I still want to keep helping people and disseminating information. And so we move into, you know, in my case, a lot of business coaching and for other people, life coaching and, and in general, just trying to help people become better and happier and more successful. So it's very natural progression, I think. And I think that even for one aspect of a business, business in this case, your podcast, it's natural that after a while, you know, the, the fitness stuff is going to be separated a little bit and you're going to be interspersed with stuff like what we're going to talk about today. Totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, I run into that where I've recorded so many, I've talked about so many things and written about so many things I run into like, so... Mm-hmm. I guess I could just, I mean, I, I've written all about this. I guess I could talk about that in the podcast. At least, in, at least it's in a different medium. But, right. uh, but yeah, I think it'll be fun. And I know that, you know, I've gotten a lot of requests from, from listeners and from, from readers to talk more about, cause I'll dabble in some self-improvement stuff here and there in the podcast, almost just like tangents sometimes of, Hey, Oh, that, rem- that reminds me of this. I'm just going to talk about it for five minutes. Um, but then people will say, Hey, can you do more episodes like that? Can you talk more about that kind of stuff? So here sure. we are. Here we are. And, uh, so Let's let's get right into it. So uh, the subject here is going to be um, obviously Joseph Campbell's work, and um, I'll let you just kind of jump into the intro on that and a sure. quick background on it. How did you find his work, and you know? Who okay, so, um, so I think I think maybe start with who Campbell is and why it's important. Um, Joseph Campbell was a mythologist who taught at Sarah Lawrence University in the forties and fifties, um, and uh, he focused on comparative mythology. And uh, this looks at myths across cultures, so myths from the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Romans, the Greeks, and he focused on where they converged or what they had in common rather than where they diverged. And what Campbell found was that in nearly all cultures, every great story has the same narrative thread. It more or less follows the same um, pattern, what he called the monomyth or the hero's journey, this this, uh, storytelling structure that takes us through the perspective of this hero from what's called the ordinary world, the status quo, all the way around through this great adventure, which can include everything from going to Hogwarts, the battle on the Death Star, destroying the ring in in, in Mount Doom, um, or, you know, like going through the looking glass in Alice in Wonderland or or learning karate and fighting in the uh, 1984 All-Valley Karate Tournament, the Karate Kid. All of these different things all fall into the hero's journey. And at the very end of it, the hero has not only accomplished this great goal, but has also improved himself emotionally, um, and even if there's some sort of physical sacrifice. And he is able to um, now return with the elixir. We'll go through all the steps of the hero's journey. Um, but the most important one at the end is returning with the elixir. And this is basically the hero has gone off on this quest and he's learned this great thing. And now it is his duty to bring it back to the tribe because all of our story, you know, we're all like tribal creatures. And so Campbell often talks of like leaving the tribe and then returning to the tribe. And, and it's basically the hero's journey is, is not just about the actual adventure and the quest and the treasure that the hero goes on. It is about becoming the hero, becoming the best possible version of himself through sacrifice, through strife, um, through uh, work, and so that he can best serve the world. I found Campbell um, my sophomore year of college, and um, for me, it was the right book at the right time. Uh, I had always been really interested in mythology. And um, when I was a kid, I just was always reading Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Egyptian. Um, when I got a little older, I got into Norse mythology. So I just really, really enjoyed it. And, and so I, I've always been a writer. 
And, you know, if I hadn't wound up writing about fitness, it would have been something else. And so when I was a kid, when I was 14 or 15 years old, I got my first uh, short story published in Dragon Magazine. And then I got another one published in Dungeon Magazine and Scry. Nice. And these were the like, kind of magazines where you could go and read how to create your perfect D&D character or how to build a very effective deck for Magic the Gathering. So real fucking hardcore nerd shit. <laughs> um, real, real nerd. Very big niche magazine. Um, but I was getting published when I was 15 and getting paid like $150 and I felt amazing. And, uh, and I like to write about this stuff. And um, so when I, when I discovered Campbell, which was, I, I don't know if it was in a mythology class or well, maybe just a creative literature class. Um, so I discovered Campbell and I was reading through his seminal work, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which more or less discusses his thesis of the monomyth that all stories pretty much follow the same pattern. Now, from the time I was a very young child, I have been heavily into Tolkien and um, reading Campbell, I was immediately able to apply the steps of the monomyth directly to the Lord of the Rings and, you know, directly to Narnia and all of the other less well-known but equally nerdy uh, fantasy that I had read. And um, so I read Campbell and I like really fell in love with it. And then later that year, um, I went through a fitness transformation and uh, that lasted, you know, the actual act of transforming was like four months. But, um, and then I, you know, this, the, the, the following summer it was, it was the most, crazy summer of my life, right? Cause I went from being a guy who was like kind of muscular, but chubby, um, to this dude who was just shredded. And I, I worked at, at a summer camp. And so and that's a, that's a place where you're surrounded by women, your age, you know, it's a lot of like 20 to 24 year old guys and girls. And, uh, you have hormones shirts. oozing everywhere, right? Hormones oozing everywhere. And so like my life dramatically changed just from having gone through this physical transformation. And um, so then I went back to school and I sort of didn't read Campbell for a while. And then, um, you know, when I when I graduated, uh, I started uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was probably on track to go back and become a professional student and get a master's and then a, maybe two doctorates or whatever it was going to be. I mean, and your, as, your parents as, could talk about it at the social <laughs> events. They could, you know. Right. Oh, oh, like, he's, oh, he's working on his third Ph.D. Oh, fantastic. Well, yeah, because I, I just figure like if you're going to get one doctor, you should get two. And then everyone has to call me Dr. Dr. Romanello. And that was my doctor. And I thought that like spending an extra eight years in school was was enough of a, like that. That joke was funny enough to spend eight years in school, which is not, <laughs> it's not a good joke. Um, so I just started to start. Uh, I, I had um, now been in shape for a year and I was helping my friends get in shape. And so I started this personal training company, Roman Fitness Systems. And as I was starting it and going through the process, I really realized that so much of what I was doing, the actual steps that I was taking in solving that business was very similar to sort of the steps I had to take when I went through my fitness transformation. And then something clicked for me and I picked up Campbell again and I realized that going through my fitness transformation um, was a hero's journey. I started in the ordinary world of being overweight. I experienced a call to adventure or an inciting event, which is, in my case, I was thinking about joining a gym, but I had been thinking about it forever. Um, and what happened for me was uh, I was working at The Gap, which is the worst place you can fucking work ever. Um, of all the retail places you can work, The Gap is like, I think it's like maybe Walmart and then The Gap. The Gap is pretty bad. And so this woman called, and she said, I need um, – like 27 polo shirts and all these different sizes and they all have to be white, 27 white polo shirts. 
And, you know, I was like, all right, lady, but that's weird as hell. But sure, and I go down to the stop room and they find all the polo shirts and she comes up. And I'm ringing her up, nice Italian lady, reminds me of my mom. And I ask, like, what do you need these shirts for? She said, my husband is opening a gym and these are for employees to wear at the, at the desk. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. Where's the, the gym? So, turns out it was like five minutes from my house. And this woman was so sweet. She's like, you got to go in. Tell my husband I sent you. So I went in the next day. And I walked around and I met the owner, this guy named Alvin, who was like very welcoming and super cool. And this is now step three, the meeting with the mentor. It's like being unhappy and depressed and and unfit in the ordinary world. And then there's the inciting event of, uh, or the call to adventure of this call from Marie. And then, you know, there's, uh, I go to the gym and I'm like, "Eh, I don't know. And that's kind of refusal of the call. And then I met Alvin and he, at the time Alvin was, I guess 42 years old and he had a lat spread like this and like big shoulders and like good looking older dude. And I was like, this guy's like, I'm like half his age and he's in way better shape than me. And like, and, and he was like cool and funny. And he's like, you should join. We'll give you the student discount. Well, you know, we'll, we'll get you sorted. And Alvin became my mentor and you know, he helped me out a lot. He, and he, we just hit off we built this relationship and he kept giving me books to read about fitness. And I just like dove in and, you know, I think I joined that gym on April 26th of, 2000, I guess, um, 2001. And I was like a size 35 waist. I don't know what my, what my body fat percentage was, but a lot. And then on July 4th, I had a six pack. I was like 6% body fat with a 28 inch waist. So I made unbelievable progress very quickly because as it turns out, I have good genes for this stuff. I was just fucking lazy and didn't, and wasn't applying myself. And so this changed my life in so many ways. And so I began to realize that all of the steps um, that I had gone through uh, in this fitness transformation were mirrored in the hero's journey. And then as I began to start this personal training business, I had to go through the same thing, right? The ordinary world for me was like, I've just graduated school. I'm probably supposed to go to grad school now. Um, The call to adventure was, uh, you know, Alvin telling me like, if you want to do this, um, I'll help you. And you know, obviously he's the mentor now because he actually paid for my first personal training certification. It was amazing. And then there's like, you know, tests, allies and enemies, right? Where um, most tests are sort of like a reaction to uh, how, how you react to your enemies, enemies um, uh, testing you or, 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 or trying to push back against you. In my yeah. case, that was my family, hmm. right? So like I went to an Ivy league school First person in my, in my uh, family to like graduate college, um, and I've got all these people telling me like you have to, you know, be a doctor or a lawyer. You have to go back to grad school. You have to do these yeah, things. Make, make use of this. This gift. Make use of this gift that you've been given. You know, like this intellect and this this education. Do something. And so there are all these people chattering, and you know, I'm starting this personal training business, and I uh, I grew up in a single parent family. My mom and I are uh, we've been very very close my entire life. She was, you know, my, we, my parents split when I was like 10. My dad was super abusive to me and my mom. So starting from when I was 10 years old, it was like me, my mom and my sister. She took care of all of us. We took care of each other, worked her ass off to help me get through school. I mean, like she would have scrubbed floors if it wasn't like I got some scholarships, but she really would have done anything. And so now I graduate from this expensive school and I'm like, I'm going to work in this gym. I broke my mother's heart and she was like, you're going to, you go to work in your pajamas. You, are you really going to work in the gym for the rest of your life? Just wouldn't accept it. But I knew that I had, I, I wanted to do this at least for a while. For me, again, I, I will be very honest. 
at the time, it felt like something to do until I figured out what I was going to do, which right. it turned out to be. And right. it, it just happened to be that what I was going to do was work in the fitness industry and write books and build this company. Yeah. Um, so, so just to sort of like, you know, put a bow on that and, and then get back to, directly into Campbell. What I, what I really noticed was that every large change you go through in your life, whether it is getting into a relationship, going through a breakup, getting a divorce, getting a new job, starting a new business, going through a fitness transformation, every single one of those changes follows the cycle of the monomyth or the hero's journey. And uh, the original version of the hero's journey that, that Campbell outlays is 17 stages or steps. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another one that I prefer. I think it's a little, a little bit more um, applicable to everyday stuff. Um, it was Christopher Vogler's version of the hero's journey, which is in, uh, in his book, the writer's journey, mythic structure for writers. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's really how I got introduced. It was right book, right time. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that life mirrors art in that way? I think that what Campbell hit on unknowingly or not, um, is that we tell stories this way not just because it's a great narrative structure. It helps us understand um, the the journey of the character, the evolution of the character. Because I, I think that ultimately what it comes down to is this is how we process change. Mm-hmm. The, these 12 steps are how we process change. And I say 12 steps very intentionally because if you, if you look at it, if you look at the 12 steps of Vogler's hero's journey, you can overlay them directly on top of the 12 steps of recovery programs like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, whatever it is. So going through a major change like recovering from an addiction literally mirrors the hero's journey. And that is those are the same steps necessary uh, when you go through a divorce, for example. Every so it's st- almost like we're observing uh, stages of life that are just kind of hardwired for, you know, they're just built into the wolf and warp it, of whatever we are. And whatever, yeah, whatever, whatever this ethereal thing that we are, you know, the, and that, you know, like the, the ethereal essence that is, is, is thrust into this corporeal form. This is how we process change on a very deeply primitive and emotional level. And it's the same thing, by the way, um, if you look at the five stages of grief, very similar to the hero's journey, right? First, there's the ordinary world where, this person is alive. And then there's the inciting event where unfortunately someone you love dies. Then there's the refusal of the call. Stage one of the five stages of grief is denial, right? And then you go through um, bargaining, anger, um, whatever. And then finally acceptance, which is return with the elixir where now you can accept that this person has passed on. That's, that's the final stage of the hero's journey. And instead of mourning them and, and grieving for them, you can take what you've learned from them and use it to make your life better and the lives of everyone around you better. You know, you don't have to, like, when, when your grandfather dies, obviously you're very sad for a while, but then it gets to a point where you've gotten over the initial pain of it and you can look back and be like, here's some really awesome things my grandfather taught me. Here's how he made me a better man. And that's the hero's journey. Like, going through... The five stages of grief is the same thing as going through the 12 steps of recovery or the 17 steps of the hero's journey. All, this is just how we as humans process change. Yeah, and, and I think that 
you know, the reason why that's the reason why it's found in these stories that have really survived the millennia in some cases. And there's yeah. a reason why we kept on telling these stories over and over. And there's a reason why cultures have valued certain stories so much. Uh, I think, you know what I mean? And that there's, it's not just, it's not just a story. It's not just about Luke Skywalker doing some things and defeating Darth Vader. You know, there's a symbolic meaning to it that is, you know, it, it means something to people subconsciously, whether they realize it or not. Absolutely. And that is why Star Wars is what it is, right? I mean, Star Wars is more or less the perfect. Yeah, I mean, it was built for. So, yeah, for I mean, yeah. So, yeah. so obviously, like, um, Lucas wrote Star Wars and then dove more deeply into Campbell and rewrote a lot of things to conform to the hero's journey. And lo and behold, 1977, people didn't know anything about what Star Wars. Can you imagine living in a world where people don't know what Star Wars is? Yeah. I can't even process that, right? I was born in 1982. Uh, first movie I ever saw in the movie theater, I was one year old. My dad took me to see uh, Return of the Jedi, right. um, which I, by the way, is a, is a move I do not agree with. Do not take a one-year-old child to see a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I happen to be a quiet kid. But what if I was a crier? I mean, don't do that to other people. Don't I take know. your baby to the movies. I know. But My wife had asked me all times, like, should we take when, when my son was younger? Should we go to the movies? I'm like, let's not be one of those people. Come on. We'll, don't be those people. Never be those people. We'll wait until and he's a little what? older. We'll take him to, like, what is now Finding Dory and all the kids. You know, at least that. Yeah, the kids' movies. All the other kids are going to cry or, you know, whatever. But don't don't take your kids to see Star There's a lot of explosions in that movie. I could have cried. Um, and uh, But imagine, like, living in a world where nobody knows what Star Wars is. And then 1977 – and this massive thing happens, and it like look, Star Wars is a good movie. It's very well acted. Um, it's it's a great story, but it affected us on such as a culture on such a deeply intense level that it did a few things. Firstly, it immediately became part of the cultural zeitgeist. Secondly, it uh, it established science fiction as a commercially viable genre. Every science fiction movie made before Star Wars was like a rinky-dink B-movie, and then Star Wars comes along with its like relatively big budget for the day and changes our lives, and now everyone's just like, spaceships, explosions, let's yeah. throw money at this and make these things. And now like every, every blockbuster that comes out in 2016 um, is science fiction in some way, even if it's, if it's comic books. Um, so it changes us, right? Because, you know, it starts with, Luke Skywalker on his farm, which may as well be Dorothy Gale on her farm in The Wizard of Oz. And then, you know, it's help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope, the call to adventure. And then, you know, he finds Obi-Wan. That's the meeting with the mentor. And, and he said, and Obi-Wan says, you must come with me to Alderaan and train to be a Jedi if you're going to help me rescue the princess. And Luke is all, you know, I, I can't go with you to Alderaan. I aunt and uncle are going to make me work on this lame farm. And I didn't even get to, you know, my friends all went to the Academy and I got to wait another season. The universe always get what it, gets what it wants. Most of the time in storytelling and a lot of times in life, refusal of the call is melt is, is met with a swift reversal of fortune on the part of the universe. Right? So Luke says, I can't go with you to Alderaan. I have to be with my aunt and uncle. And then they get back to his farm and his aunt and uncle have been killed by stormtroopers. And now they're dead, and so he has nothing holding him back, right? And then he goes with Ben to Moss Eisley, which is crossing the first threshold. It's the first time he's ever been to this Moss Eisley spaceport, and he sees the world. You know, he meets Han Solo and Chewbacca, but he walks into that bar, that cantina, and his whole like his whole fucking world is rocked, Mike. It's you know, there's all these different types of aliens with weird faces. They speak different languages, 
And he's there not five minutes, and some crazy dude who has the death sentence on nine systems like starts a fight with him and winds up getting his arm cut off by a lightsaber. Imagine your kid who's lived on a farm your entire life and now. But how is that any different, right, from when you're 14 years old and you walk into – you've been in middle school for four years, and now you walk into high school for the first time, right? And you see – like. You know, you're, you're 14 and you're just going through this stuff, but there's like 18 year old guys who are jacked or women who are incredibly developed. And, you know, there's like couples making out in the hallway. You're going through this. And it's like an alien world. It's stuff you've never seen before. Yeah. And that is a massive change for you. So that's crossing the first threshold. And that's what happens with Luke's. And so the, the point of, um, the point that I'm making with regard to Star Wars is it changed everything for us because it was so closely mirrored to the hero's journey that we could not help but be pulled into it because this is how human beings process stories and have since the dawn of time. All of these characters in every story you've ever heard fall into these archetypes. You know, the mentor, whether it's Merlin or Gandalf or Dumbledore or Mr. Miyagi or Morpheus from the Matrix or Hitch from Hitch, like all of these characters are just there, like they're and, and the hero, Luke Skywalker, Harry Potter, Frodo, um, King Arthur, this young hero, or Dorothy Gale. Obviously, it's not all men. This young hero who needs to go on this adventure, Cat, and at the Cat Everdeen, end, the latest. Cat is Everdeen, of course, yeah. Um, and in her case, Haymitch, played by Woody Harrelson, is is the mentor, right? And so there are these characters that appear over and over again, these archetypes that appear over and over again, because this is how we process stories. And it's it, it, it's the way that stories have been told since the dawn of time around campfires. If you can travel back in time, assuming no language barriers, if you told the story of Star Wars to a tribe around the campfire, once they wrap their head around lasers and spaceships, they would just nod along and like, oh, I know this story. This is, I know where this is going. Totally, totally. We get it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So then how do we tie that into living a better life? Because that's really also what, what you're working on with your book project. And right, right. Um, I mean, I, I think as, a, as someone just personally very interested in storytelling, I've always, that's how I found it. And I found his work fascinating from, from that angle. Um, but for everyone listening, so how do we, how do we use what Campbell sure. discovered to be better in life? I, I think that in addition to being a, a great, storytelling medium uh, or structure, the monomyth can serve as two things. Firstly, I think that it can serve as a, an effective a thesis for self-directed growth for people who want to be better. And that is sort of like a larger global thing. And then a more acute, immediate thing is I think it's a really good tool set for problem solving. And so what I mean is that if you've decided I want to start a business, um, all you need to do is look at the hero's journey and see where am I in this moment, right? The call to adventure is you want to start whatever whatever business that you want to start. So let's look at, at Legion, for example, right? There was something, like obviously there was something that spurred you to start this company. Right. Why did you want to start a supplement company? Is it just because like I can make money? I mean, I'm sure there was like, there was a dearth of great products out there. You wanted to be transparent. You wanted to contribute something to that arena. Honestly, the the the... the Origin was I wanted to make the products that I myself have always wanted. And, you know, I was sick of using products that I felt were inferior and recommending. So no one else was doing it. So, that, I mean, that's really, that was kind of the, the beginning. 
that's called to adventure, right? You decide. And I'm sure there was a moment when you were like looking at the amount of work yes. that you were going to go through and you're like, do I really want to? And that's what I, feel, I had that conversation with my partner at the time. His name's Jeremy. I was like, okay, Jeremy. So this is what we could do. I'm pretty sure it's going to do well because I think there are a lot of other people out there like me and that are, that feel the same way about supplements. But if we're going to do it, if we say yes, we have to understand what we're committing to here. This isn't something we just like, you know, kind of do a little bit here and there. And it's just going to be, no, you're like, starting a company yeah. you know it's like yeah. a big, big thing and we're gonna do that it's like we got to do it or it's gonna kill us that's that's how we got to go into it right so who did you talk to other than jeremy well who was the mentor in this did you speak to other people who had been involved in supplements before not directly uh, involved in the industry no okay. um i would say probably the the the, the mentor was um, the person who helped me do a lot of the research initially and has actually been consulting. He's been, he's been super overloaded. Now, I would, I would say who he is, but he needs to stay anonymous for his work, actually. Um, sure. he, he, does, he does consulting and stuff, but because of where he works and what he does, it's, he doesn't associate his name with it. Um, so he, he helped a lot in helping me crystallize what these products could be. You know, I had a lot of my own ideas and things based on my research, but he knew this stuff a lot better than I did. And right. um, so he was able to, you know, take a look at everything, all of my ideas and say, okay, that's a good idea and we can make it better by doing this. That's not mm -hmm. a good idea. This is why. Da, 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 da. Here's and, something that we should wait on until yep. we're more profitable. Yep, yep, yep. Because there's a lot of things. Like everybody, when they jump into supplements, like I want to start a, like people who don't, like, who have never looked into supplement manufacturing might not realize this, but like when you're going to start a supplement company, the last thing you want to do is start with a protein powder. Yep. Because the margins, margins are crap. It's yep. like you're not making any money on that. Yep. But there's a lot of crappy supplements, uh, crappy protein supplements out there. So obviously you want to come in and you want to hit it out of the park and make the best one. But in order to do that, you have to make other cool supplements with higher margins that can finance this. And that is something that you only learn by like going through that. Yep. And so or, you or you do what I'm doing, which is you just – Forget about retail, basically, and, yeah, and, and, and sell so, direct right. consumer, and then use that what normally would go to the distributor to make better products. Right, right. So you've got this mentor um, who, for the sake of argument, we will call him Gandalf. And Gandalf, you know, he he guides you in this way. So you found a mentor, and then crossing that uh, crossing the first threshold is making that first product, like putting up the website. All of these steps yep. that are necessary in starting any business, sending that first email, right? So now. There are tests, allies, and enemies. Your allies are your business partner, your wife, all of your customers who yeah, are like readers, ready to go. Readers, followers, yeah. The enemies are the people who are like, I can't believe you started a supplement line. You're mm -hmm. such a sellout. Yeah, yeah. People are going to hate you. Right. Like, you know, everyone. Um I think I think past. also there's something to be said for obstacles too that um you know that go into this this phase of the whole thing that serve as I mean they're not they're not enemies personified but uh, no. things you have to overcome like yeah, big big fires that just break out and you're either going to put the fire out or it's going to going to consume consume you so you have an you one or the other that's exactly right and um so those are tests you know and and things you have to overcome and. Uh, and so, so how this makes you a better person is that whatever massive change you are going through, you can use this as a tool set for problem solving. So, um, I have a friend who is getting a divorce and, um, he's been, he's been married, um, you know, five or six years and it, it was great. Now it's not. And, and he and his wife have decided to split, right? So his mentor in this situation, uh, you know, they were they were actually just going to go and like file some paperwork and let that be that. And I know I told them, I was like, you need someone who's done this to like walk you through this, not just to like 
yeah, I never want to like demonize anyone in this situation, sure, sure. Not, not to protect you and your assets from her, but to make sure that you're both protected, like find um, a lawyer or a mediator or someone who can walk you through this. Don't just go down to the courthouse and like sign some shit. Well, just, yeah, because who knows what the relations are going to be like later when then it, right. it, it, then the lawyers do get involved and it gets more ugly. And- exactly. So, you know, I think I said, like, find a mentor and that's really important. And, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, they found this person who, is representing both of them as a mediator, which I think is incredibly mature and amazing. Um, and it's not an acrimonious divorce. It's, it's very amicable. Um, but this person found all of these things that they actually like need to talk about in terms of some of their assets and things. And that's crazy that like they were just about to miss that. Right. So you need that mentor, whatever change you're going through. And then there's refusal of the call as they were going through this. It's sort of, it's, it, they, they, it pushed them back and they're like, do we really want to go through with this? Maybe we'll give it another shot. Um, even though I think they both knew it was the, the, the right move for them. And then they, um, continue talking with their friends and family and decide to go through with it. And now they're in the trial phase, which is like really discussing the brass tacks of how to separate everything. Um, and so like, you know, you just need to know where you are in any of these cycles. And then if you know that all you need to do is focus on that step and then getting to the next step. There are so many people who don't realize they need a mentor. Like whatever you're going to, if it's a fitness transformation, you need a coach or a mentor. You don't go to like law school to become a lawyer and not have mentors. There are people who teach you things. This is the way we've been doing it from the dawn of time, and it works. I you're should also be- add, though, that books make great mentors. Books make well. great mentors, right? You know, like there have been thousands of people who have read my book, and um, you know, the, the structure about the follows the hero's journey. Um, and, Which is and a so, connection to you. Yeah, it's not a personal one-on-one connection. Right, it doesn't happen to you. It, but it's here's this person, in my case, myself and, and Bornstein, who know more than you, who are going to like be there to support you. They're going to give you the information, and then you just got to follow it. You know, like all of the books you've written, same thing. You're the mentor. Books make a tremendous mentor, you know? I, I know, um, I'm sure you're familiar with Ryan Holiday. Sure, of course. I'm actually reading his new book. It's amazing. Um, so Ryan, right, uh, Ego is the Enemy is the new book. Ryan is a good friend of mine. And that's a guy, he's had a lot of mentors from Tucker Max to Robert Greene, but because of his interest in stoicism, his mentors also include Marcus Aurelius. You know, it's like most of us don't have the opportunity to be directly mentored by Marcus Aurelius. By a, but Ro- if, by a Roman emperor. Uh, right. <laughs> but if you read meditations and really get into it, Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and Epictetus, you can absolutely be mentored by these great men the way I have been mentored by Campbell. And yeah, so books make a tremendous mentor. So I think that the most important thing is to first learn what those steps are. Um, back in the day, I was, uh, I was like a semi-professional poker player. I didn't know. And um, yeah, I played like 20 to 25 hours a week at underground clubs. It was very much like rounders. Um, except there was no, no John Malkovich character. Everyone was cool. And, and everyone in poker rooms has a nickname. Like they never call anyone by their name. Everyone's got a name. So there was like, there was this guy, uh, who owned Carvel ice cream stores and his name was like Charlie Carvel. I think his name was Chris, but he became Charlie Carvel. And, uh, my name was Muscles Marinara because I am Italian and jacked. And so <laughs> shit like, so, so I'm playing, I'm playing, um, poker like 25 hours a week. And I, and, and it took me a really long time to be able to do this, but um, I wound up getting a conversation with a professional poker player, uh, like a guy who had been in the World Series several times, and he said, the single biggest thing you need to develop is the ability 
to look at the board and immediately know what the nuts are. The nuts is the best possible hand, right? So every stage from the flop to the turn to the river, you need to instantly look at the board and know what the best possible hand would be because that is going to help you assess the strength of your hand against the potential range of hands that your opponents can have. And, um, and so I think that like that skill, developing that skill, looking at any major problem in my life and being able to instantly recognize where in the cycle of the monomyth I am has been hugely important, right? So I recently went through, um, a shitty situation with an employee. Um, this is a guy who worked for me for a couple of years and, uh, good friend, uh, who I, who I hired because he was a good friend and he did a good job for a while and then didn't. And I had to, you know, I had to let him go. And so much of, 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 going through this incredibly painful emotional process of firing a guy who was one of my best friends and like pushing him out of my company while at the same time, like trying to preserve the friendship every single time I was about to make a move. I was like, where in the hero's journey am I right? The call to adventure was, you know, was very much like I became aware of some things he had fucked up and like multiple times. I'm like, yeah. that can't happen. Yeah. Meeting with the mentor was I, um, I spoke with, uh, three of my close, like business guys, uh, business friends with, Advice Ryan Holiday was one of them. Um, and I was like, what do I do in this situation? And then the, the crossing the first threshold is like that first conversation yeah. that I had with him where I'm like, this is all the stuff that I've seen. And I absolutely like need you to fix it. And this is going to serve as your last warning. This is the last chance and I need you to do it. And then, you know, tests, allies and enemies are like, you know, he becomes my enemy in that situation. He becomes someone who like, is he going to do this? Your allies are the other people in the company who are trying to step up the cover for him. And it's a whole thing. And then finally, you know, you get to the end of that journey. The ordeal itself is when I realized I had to let him go. And, you know, this you is have to actually do it. I mean, experience you it, actually fucking do it. And just be like, I'm sorry, like I got to let you go. Yep. But it doesn't stop there. Right. Because now I've let this guy go. He's a big part of what I do. Now I got this hole to fill. So now I am in the actual ordeal doing his job, filling that void, which is which is like very time consuming. You know, he's a big part of the company and I've got to do all of that. And then stage nine, which is reward, which is all of a sudden because things are being done correctly. Revenue goes up, you know, and, and we just go through it until we finally get to like return with the elixir, which is I personally feel that firing him was the best thing that I could have done for him. You know, he's doing better now. He's like got a new job and hopefully he'll figure out what it is he really, really wants to do. But honestly, I think that I coddled him for a long time and I allowed him to get away with shit because he was one of my oldest friends. And he, he knew that like there was not a lot of consequence for fucking up. Yep. And uh, and I think like that didn't do him any favors. You know, I wasn't doing him any favors by being lenient with him. Uh, he knew there were no consequences. And so he, he fucked up. And, and now he's in a place where he has to, like, work harder. And I think that will allow him to figure out whatever it is he really wants to do. And I hope he finds that. But it was a very, very so you could you could have been a better mentor for him is what you're saying. <laughs> I could. Um, but, you know, when I that's the thing, I wasn't it's very hard to mentor your friends. Right. Sure. There's a lot of proximity bias. Like I didn't hire him and like I'm going to teach you how to do things. It was. I need you to do this job for me. I want you to help me run my company. And, and he did for a few years. And so like that relationship was very much uh, one of, of two people being equals, but yeah. you know, obviously as the owner of the company, like it, it created some no, tension. No, I know. It can be hard to separate those, those hats. <clears throat> right. Um, and so I just followed the model of the hero's journey. I re recognized where I was at every stage of the game. And when I realized it was time to fire him, 
you know, I prepared myself and I was like, this is the ordeal. This is the most important piece of this. This is the lightsaber battle on the Death Star. This is Harry fighting Voldemort. This is Frodo about to, you know, destroy the ring. Like, I have to do this. This is everything. If I don't do this, what kind of business person am I? What kind of friend am I? Right. And so for me, you know, avoiding conflict is sort of second nature because I just like, particularly with my friends, because I don't want to. I don't like to break balls. I want to let everyone do what they have to do. But like tell, telling myself, this is the ordeal. This has to happen. Yeah. That is what allowed me to go into it and say very clearly, listen, dude, I love you. I think you're an incredible human being, but I cannot keep you on anymore. You're, you're not doing the job the way it's supposed to be done. And I've given you enough chances. And even if I believed that you could improve, I no longer believe that you will. And keeping you on is causing me too much stress. I've got to let you go. I'm going to give you a month severance. You stop working tomorrow. I'm going to start doing your job and you have, you know, I'm going to keep paying you for a month from this day forward so that you can, you know, like support yourself and find something else, but it's got to be done. And, and it was, cra- what was crazy to me is he didn't see it coming. And like, we'd had several conversations and I was like, I don't know what to do, but telling myself, this is the ordeal. This needs to be done is what allowed me to have that conversation with grace. It's what allowed me to speak to him man to man, friend to friend, but also employer to employee. And that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, and then, you know, like eventually getting to uh, returning with the elixir, it's better for both of us. Our friendship is stronger now, you know, like, cause they're we're not constantly fighting about things he's messing up. And, you know, like I can imagine how it was for him. Every time his phone went off and he sees my name, he's got to get this feeling of dread being like, what am I getting yelled at about now? And like every time, you know, like something I got to take a screenshot and send it to him like this thing needs to get. That's not good for a friendship. And so our friendship is stronger now. Our um, relationship is stronger now. And business is better. And that has to happen. So, you know, to become the best version of yourself so that you can best serve the world is really what returning with the elixir is. And it's why we have to go through these changes. Right. If you think about it in terms of a marriage, returning with or, or divorce, rather returning with the elixir. It's the divorce itself. It's being separated. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and being and both people ideally being happier and being able to move on with their lives. Right. If you've ever been in an unhappy relationship, you can't possibly, you know, you can't possibly be your best self. And neither can that person. Because even if they're happy and they don't know you're unhappy, there's some sort of like energetic shifts that happen. And they're very aware that like, something's not right. And they can't be their best self and you can't be your best self. And the other problem is, when you're in a shitty relationship or an unhappy relationship, you spend so much energy being unhappy or yeah. trying to get happy or trying to fix it. Or make the other person happy. Right. You can't serve the world. You can't fulfill whatever your mission is. I was in not a, not a bad relationship, just like a mediocre one uh, before I met my wife. And the way that it tanked my productivity, you know, because I was like always dealing with this girl who's like super jealous and she's like, I don't understand why you have to travel all the time. Because I'm running a multi-million dollar company. I got shit to do. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, uh, that's funny. I feel like, because my, my wife is great with that. Like, she understands. And she, she benefits from it, of course. But she understands that, you know, if I were a nine-to-five kind of guy, we would not have the quality of life that we have. I might be around more. But is that really what she would want? Kind of, You know what I mean? So, and, and you wouldn't be as happy. You wouldn't exactly. be the man That's that just not me. Like, I mean, what I don't know. I'm programmed differently. I don't know what to say. Right. Yeah, my wife is like, Super supportive. Like, you know, um, we have we have a place here in New York where I am now and, and we have a house out in, in L.A. And like 
she knows that from my productivity, I need to be in New York like very frequently. Yeah. Um, so that's why we got a place here. You know, my, my mom isn't in the best of health, so like seeing her more is important. Mm. But I got tired of like staying in hotels and sleeping on couches. So we got this apartment and it's like it's like my little place. It's like decorated how I want it. I picked out all the furniture. I see R2 D2 there in the background. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is all my stuff. So and like I come here and I like crush work. And she's texting me, she's like, when are you coming home? I miss you. I'd really like to see you. And I was like, I haven't booked a flight yet, and I'm not going to book it until I finish this project that I'm working on. Yeah. Like, I needed to finish writing something. And so I finished it yesterday, and I booked my flight for tomorrow. And that's, and, and she's like, she'll t- she, she lets me know that she wishes I were there. Yeah. But she's also very clear that, like, take your, do what you need to do. I'm not pressuring you. I just want you to know that I miss you. And, like, that's huge. Yeah. And for me having gotten out of that mediocre relationship, like allowed me to be a better person so I could attract a better person. So I could be in this marriage. It's actually like fulfilling. Um, and so all of those things, they follow the model of the hero's journey. It's really, so, so whenever you're going through something, or about to start something, or about to start something, you know, whether it's a business or think, think about getting in shape, right? Exactly. Let's go back to fitness, right? Everyone listening to your podcast, all of you guys out there and, and, and women, I'm sure you have a lot of female readers and, and listeners as well. If you haven't started yet, this is your call to adventure, right. right? Your ordinary world is wherever you are now. You're probably not particularly thrilled about your body. Hopefully you don't like walk around hating yourself. I would hate that. But there's, thing, there's things you want to change, you know, and it could be as simple as like I'd like my upper chest to be a little bit better for my V-necks. Or it could be like something major, like I need to lose 100 pounds so that I I can fight a heart disease and stay alive for my kids. Whatever it is, this is your call to adventure. You're going to refuse the call. You're going to listen to this podcast and you're going to think, this is really great stuff and I want to read Joseph Campbell and I want to watch Star Wars again. And then like life is going to happen and it's going to get in the way and you're not going to do it. But at some point – you will meet with a mentor, and that could be listening to Mike's next podcast. It could be picking up my book and reading it. It could be reading the right article. It could just be, you know, maybe Mike tweets out something particularly inspiring, and you're like, fuck, now I'm ready, and then you're going to join the gym. And going into that gym the first time, walking into that gym, that is crossing the first threshold. It is. This it really point. is, especially when it's your first time. And I, 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 I get emails from, from women all the time that I understand, I understand this is their first time stepping in the gym. They, and, you know, they're not going to – they go buy the cardio and there they go to the weightlifting, the, the, the iron jungle and the, yep. you have all – And the- it's crazy. And it's very much like Luke walking into Moss Eisley, right? Yeah, it's, totally. You know, there's all these different types of people. There's a power lifter over here. Yeah. There's this person doing snatches and throwing weight over his head. And then there's – First of all, taking his like, shirt off and just take selfies for 20 minutes. <laughs> right. And, but, and then there's all these like, you know – like all these different types of people, these yeah. aliens that you're not aware of. And you're just like, I don't even know where to start. That's crossing the first threshold. That is your first step into the special world. And it can be terrifying. But as long as you know ahead of time that it's going to be terrifying and it's going to be intimidating, you can really just like muster your metal and you can prepare ahead of time and you just, and all you need to do is I just need to go in and follow this plan. Whatever you get from Mike or me or any other fitness professional, I just need to do this. And honestly, you don't even have to finish it. Even if it's an hour workout and you do like 20 minutes, just start. But the key here is that the thing that is going to help you feel comfortable is knowing ahead of time 
what to do. I can't tell you how many times I've seen someone walk into a weight room for the first time and they wander around and they don't know what to do. And like, they don't know a lot of exercises. So they're like, okay, I'm going to pick up the dumbbells and do some lateral raises. I'll yeah, do some I know, things. I know curls. I know these guys. And yeah, I know, I know, I knew these guys and yeah. these guys and some of these guys yeah. and, and you know, that's what they know. And so that's what they do. But having a plan is huge. And this is a stage called approach, right? This is the stage of the hero's journey where the heroes make ready before they um, they attack, whatever it is. And they check all their gear and they arm up and it's usually a montage where things are getting tied and swords <laughs> are being slid into sheaths or whatever. And or, or in the case of Rocky, it's the training montage, right? Yeah. Like that has how Rocky makes ready for the ordeal of battle. It's training, right? Um, so in the case of getting ready to train for the gym, you have to like do some research. You have to know you know, what a deadlift is or, or some version of the deadlift. You get need to know, like, hold the kettlebell like this and do a goblet squat. Yeah. And honestly, it's like going to take you 15 minutes on YouTube to create a basic playlist of what you need to do. You know, overhead press, push up, some sort of row, yeah. maybe a pull up if you can do it, yeah. uh, squat, lunge, plank, you're done. Yeah. That's it. You don't have to go crazy. And, and then you ratchet up. Now, this is where, like, the role-playing game aspect of fitness comes in. And you gain levels. You get stronger, like Final Fantasy, right? You you get through, you defeat this workout, you get stronger, your weights go up, your muscles get bigger, and then you keep going from there. And so being prepared, going through approach, is what is going to allow you to really get through the ordeal of your physical transformation. And let me tell you this right now. I've been doing this for 14 years. Um, yeah, when my transformation was, was when I was 20, so now it's, I'm 34, so it's 14 years, uh, and I've seen tons of other people go through transformations. And let me tell you right now, I have never seen one person, myself included, go through a major body transformation in a, in a reasonable period of time without following a rigid plan. Not, not rigid, absolutely, like absolutely. there's no, but something structured. They yeah. have to follow a plan. Like I've never seen anyone one, either no. gain a ton of muscle or lose a ton of fat by like walking into the gym and yeah, saying, Yeah, just doing whatever your body tells you to do today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I well, think, well, I think I'll just eat one like, day, so I'll train chest. Yeah, I think I'll just do like maybe Chipotle for lunch and I don't know. I'll figure out dinner and we'll see what happens. I've never, yeah, so you have to have a plan, and approach is hugely important. Um, and so that's the hero's journey, man. It's all about like understanding that whatever major change you're going through or whatever thing you're about to start, however you your life is about to change, whatever that means to you, if you first take the hero's journey and overlay it on top of whatever that major change is, and so so there's um. We, we can probably link to a graphic of sure, sure. of Ogler's model of the hero's journey. I'll, I'll put it. And I'll just, put it in the show notes and in the description on YouTube. Perfect. Um, and you just write, you know, body transformation in the middle of this graphic, and then just write down what you think those steps are, one by one. So I would highly, highly recommend everybody read Campbell. But Campbell can be a little wavy. It can be a little dry. So what I would recommend is that read Vogler first. Vogler's book is called. The Writer's Journey, Mythic Structure for Writers. Christopher Vogler um, is a movie producer, and he worked for Disney for a long time. And when he was working on The Lion King, he wrote this three- or five-page memo for everyone about Campbell and you know why like they needed to change these, these pieces of The Lion King story to more closely follow the hero's journey because it would be a better story and it would resonate more, more uh, humanly. And it blew up in Disney. And so he just kept adding to it over the years and then he turned it into a book. And now it's, it's a very thick volume, but, but it's very accessible. 
It's very accessible. Yeah. The thing that makes Campbell somewhat hard is the writing can be a little dry, but I think that the, the challenge for most people is that Campbell makes many of his points uh, by comparison and yes. example. Yes. And so he uses a lot of myths that you may not be familiar with. And so some of that may be lost in you. Fogler yeah. makes those same points through comparison, but he uses movies and TV shows that you've probably either heard of or seen. And if you haven't seen them, it's going to be a lot easier for you to like put on Beverly Hills Cop and spend 90 minutes watching that than it is for you to like dig into the red badge of courage or, or whatever else. Yeah. I think Campbell, he was like the, uh, the enlightenment thinkers that wrote kind of more for each other. And then Vogler is like, like Thomas Paine who took their stuff and made it accessible to the common person. There, there's, that's a, there's that's a great, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, um, yeah, Campbell is very near and dear to my heart. It's been really, uh, his work has been massively influential on me as a writer, uh, and as a man, and this is the kind of stuff that I'm very passionate about and that I teach because I truly believe that learning the hero's journey gives you a model that you can apply for your life. So <clears throat> if you look at your life as one big journey, then there's all these little circles on that big circle. And when you think about where you want to be at the end of your life, what you want to do, you know, like Mike, I'm, I'm very certain that 10 years ago, you couldn't see yourself running a huge fitness company and a huge supplement company. Not at all. Right. So whatever your plan was for the end of your life, it was, it's very, very vague. And for me, you know, like I, I honestly hope that the very last thing I do, I really hope that I type a sentence and hit period on a keyboard and I fucking die at my, at my desk. That's how <laughs> at I the end I, of your magnum opus. Here it is. Right. At the very the end, final I just edit, like, the ninth edit. Uh, uh, and that's it. Dead. And that's how I want to go out. Like I have that, you know, like, and I, I think, I think that's like very dark and, and like, and that comes from my Hemingway fetish. But, um, you know, I think like on the other hand, maybe surrounded by fat, happy grandchildren would be nice. But for me as a creator, like that's what I want. But other than that, I don't really know what that's going to be. Right. Um, I think it's really a matter of, I know what I want to accomplish during the rest of my life. You know, um, Neil Gaiman, in his commencement speech at the University of the Arts in 2012. Please put that in the show notes. Yeah, Everybody right. watch it. Amazing, it is, it, it's the best 20 minutes on the internet. The, it's the most important video on the internet. But Neil Gaiman, who is a, a fantastic science fiction and fantasy writer, in his commencement speech says, I didn't really have a career plan. Instead, I liked to envision where I wanted to be as a mountain on the horizon. And I had a list of things that I wanted to do. And if they took me closer to the mountain, I just did the next thing on the list. And for him, it was being an author primarily of books and comics. And, and, you know, he wanted to had all these things he wanted to do, like write a screenplay and write an episode of Doctor Who. And, and so for me, like I have all these things I want to do. And I know that ultimately where I want to be is I want to be a storyteller. I want to be an author. I, you know, I've written I wrote three screenplays last year. None of them are fit for human consumption yet, but I'm working on them. Working on it. And that's a craft that I'm interested in learning. Same. And I want to be, you know, known as an author. That's where I want to be at the end of my life. And so I have all these things that I want to do, and I just cross the next thing off the list. And I know that as long as I, I'm doing that, in addition to, like, just checking off things from my bucket list, I'm also slogging through the hero's journey, this ordeal of my actual life, which will eventually allow me to return with the elixir. And that may be 
posthumously, maybe after my death, that these stories, these things that I write, you know, eventually help other people. And I forget who said this, but some author said, authors are in the unique position of not needing an epitaph for their work speaks for them. And like, it's crazy to me. So it's going to be John Romanello. He wrote some, he wrote some things. He wrote some things. (laughs) Yeah. Here lies John Romanello. Here's a website. (laughs) You know, it's like, (laughs) <laughs> like, I think that's going to happen. Man. I think honestly, we're probably about ten years away from like at the like right underneath like the the, the date of birth and date of death. www.christjones.com. Hey, there's a website. Like, check there's those a business. Somebody get ahead of the curve. I think that I'm going to be the first one. I hope. I hope. I hope it's like all of my work, my all of the, my published works will be accessible through my website. If you happen to see it on my gravestone, and it's like, and it'll be a special offer. It'll be like slash grave <laughs> and will have a timer up there counting down five minutes uh, it's, okay. it's gonna be great yeah. but yeah i mean so so my point is that as you're going through your entire life you're going to go through 150,000 of these little tiny journeys and you go through a couple of dozen of the bigger ones you know the having a becoming a father going through a marriage or divorce or a big relationship your parents dying you're Whatever it is, you know, your, your kid coming out as gay or whatever, any of these massive things that you'll have to deal with in your life, um, those are versions of the monomyth. And all of those plug into this massive circle that is your life. And I think that as long as you understand Campbell, not only can you get through all of these individually, but you can sort of direct where you want your life to go. And it is it is as good a plan as any I've heard because it's certainly better than – you know, just like walking into the gym and being like, oh, I guess back. Yeah. You can't walking go into life. And, oh, I guess this uh, go down yes. that road and see where that goes. I don't know. Exactly. You have to have a path and you have to have an idea and a plan. Yeah. And um, I think that this is a learned skill. I think that the the skills that I learned and the steps that I went through during my fitness transformation became sort of indelibly burned into my consciousness. And then when I started a business, it was like, oh, I'll just do those same things again. Yep. And when I met, you know, went through relations, it was like, I'll do those same things again. When I moved the business online, I'll do those same things again. And it's this portable system that works for any major change. And it's worked, obviously, for building a business in terms of personal training, yep. building an online business, um, moving. You know, so I, I, I had this massive change about three years ago. I got married moved across the country to California and became a stepfather all within six weeks of each other. And so like, that's a lot. And I would not have been able to do all of those things and handle them with a, with with a reasonable amount of equanimity. If I had not practiced going through changes intentionally. And that is the difference between Campbell and not Campbell. It's, it's going through with intention and awareness of where you are in that change, because whether or not you study Campbell, the changes you go through, they follow the hero's journey. That's unassailable. That's how we process change. We covered that in the beginning. But or you just you just face plant and crater somewhere along the way. And right, understanding Campbell allows you to to like sort of take the wheel and and direct yourself. And I think that whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're young or old, whatever it is you have left to do in your life, you are going to be exponentially more likely to do it if you have taken control of all of these massive events in your life and you don't just let the, the, the events in your life unfold to determine the course of action. You take control and you actually, you direct them. You decide where they go. Obviously, you can't control everything. Shit's going to happen. People are going to die. You know, like, but, but we can focus on what we can control. 
Exactly right. And Campbell allows you to do that. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's also something to be said for, I like uh, that, and this is one of the things that I, I took from it personally, is looking at life as an adventure and looking at all the things that happen in life as adventures. And because, you know, the, the, it's, it might be easy to do that when things are good and something good, uh, windfall, and then, oh, that, that's great. But, you know, when, when you're talking about dealing with adversity and, uh, you know, unexpected bad surprises and so forth, uh, and this kind of also goes back to, uh, there's a lot to be said for stoicism and taking that as a as a as a just a a worldview because then you can look at these things that happen as not as something terrible that has happened to you. Why is this happening to me? What am I in? And just kind of you know caving in about it, uh, but looking at it as an opportunity to. Okay, so you started this this journey, whether you wanted to or not. Here you are, and what are you going to do with it? And are you going to turn it into something positive? And if you want to, here's a way to do that. I think that's a really good point. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something with you that I don't think I've ever shared in a podcast or online or anywhere. It is something that I learned from my mentor. And I couldn't remember how he said it, so I dressed it up and Romanified it and made it fancy. But I wrote it in my journal when I was 21 years old. And every single time I've had a new journal, I've written it in, on top on the first page. So I've written this now 15 times. And, and it's this. Every single decision you ever make in your entire life is an opportunity to show your quality. And I think that's true. I think that, I mean, and it's like whether or not you're going to fire someone with grace or be an asshole, like be the better person, be a good person. And I think that, you know, there's a, I think that there are so many people who don't really take the way they behave into account. They don't really audit themselves mm -hmm. um, and decide like, I'm going to be a good man today. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's, that's sort of like the guiding post. Or even give much thought to what the kind of person they are or want to be, I think. Right. And, and I think it's not too late. It's not too late to change. The next time you're going to make a decision and, um, and I, and I, and I mean like any decision, whether you're going to, stick to your diet or like go out for pizza. That is an opportunity to show your quality. Choose the right thing, yeah. you know, like, and show to yourself. What are your values? You have the discipline and the dedication and the drive and the wherewithal to hit your goals yeah. because this is a learned habit. It's a learned trait. The more that we do this, the easier it becomes to do it. And the more successful we will be not only at doing it, but at doing other things. Totally. And so every decision you make is an opportunity to show your quality. And I, I think that, if you, if you can remember nothing else, like please remember like that is a good thesis for life. I love it. I love how passionate you are about it. It's fun to talk to people when you touch on something they really care about. And uh, in this case, it's something I also care about and uh, has also been valuable to me. So um, this has been great. So now for the listeners that want to know – I don't know exactly where you're at in terms of your work project on this, but what <laughs> this is where you get to say, yeah. all right, here's, here's, all what, right. I, here's what I have coming for you. Here, yes, here's what I have coming. I'm almost hesitant to, to – so know, Campbell, it's like this is my white whale writing this book. Yeah. Um, it's really – it's really obviously Campbell's very near and dear to my heart. I wrote my thesis on it uh, 14 years ago, whatever it was. And um, yeah, so I am – this is – this everything we've talked about in this podcast, this is my next book. This is not a fitness book. It is taking the hero's journey and explaining it and also teaching you how to apply it to personal development. So this book is going to be – part philosophy um, and, and part storytelling and part understanding. It is, it is very much a book. 
I don't like self-help. I don't like that term. Same I like self-development or self-edification. Right. So I have two goals for this book. Um, well, three goals. The first goal is to come up with a name for it, which I at some point will do. Um, that's going to be important. I'm good at that but, sometimes. Let me know. I might be able to help. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll chat. We'll just like spitball. Um, so my first goal for this is like write a book that people will understand and will will help people and, and they'll sort of walk away with immediately. And, and I really – um, I really believe uh, I can do that. And that's a very reasonable goal. My big, hairy, audacious goal, the thing that I am like most excited about trying to do, and this is why like every single word has to be carefully chosen, is yeah, I yeah. want this book to be the book that people recommend when they're being introduced to Campbell. Mm-hmm. You know, in much the same way that people, I think, it, it, smart people, if you're, if you're interested in stoicism, the first book I would recommend is The Obstacle is the Way. That's like the new starter place for stoicism as opposed to meditations or Seneca. Right, um, right. I want my book to be like the perfect introduction to Campbell. I want it to be the place where if you've read Campbell and you're passionate about Campbell the way I am, I want people to say, read Romanello's book, then read Bogler's book, then jump into Campbell. This will be the best introduction. So I really want it to um, not redefine Campbellian, uh, the, uh, the Campbellian structure, but I really, I really want it to be to become part of that conversation, so that Campbell scholars worldwide read this, recognize it, respect it, and even if they don't agree with everything in there, yeah. it will yeah. be true enough to what Campbell is that they feel comfortable recommending it to people who have never read Campbell, and that is going to be a challenge. So as for when that will happen, uh, I'm writing it. It's I'm, I'm, uh, the, the, the thing that I told my wife I needed to finish before I went back to California. Uh, I just finished, um, I have a, a real strong outline and I just finished the fourth chapter. Awesome. Um, I think it'll be 20, 21 chapters. So it's uh, slowly but surely coming. I would not expect it anytime before late 2017. Um, I will see what I get. I'll have to make a decision about self-publishing versus sure. traditional, sure. but traditional will set that calendar back another year. Yeah. That's how it but uh, yeah, thank you for asking, man. I'm really, I'm really excited. Yeah. And then otherwise, uh, where can people find, I mean, they can just Google you, but you know, I'm very good. We'll have a Wikipedia page. Um, <laughs> but, uh, if for all my fitness, can I get stuff, your autograph? <laughs> I'll send you a book. Um, or all my fitness stuff, uh, Roman fitnesssystems.com. Um, so I apologize when I started my personal training company, I didn't think how obnoxious that URL would be to type and how there's like three S's in a row, but Roman fitness systems.com plural. Um, and then I am on all of the social medias, uh, the, the Facebook, the Twitters, the Snapchat, the Instagram, and my handle on all of them is just at John Romanello. So it's very easy for you. Cool. And then, uh, just to clarify in the last name, it's N I E L L O. So. Yes. So yeah, it's Roman, like the empire, and then I-E-L-L-O. Awesome. Okay, well, thanks a lot for, for coming on and talking, John. I really appreciate it. This is great fun. And My again, pleasure, I, man. This is a lot of fun. Awesome, awesome. All right, good. Thank you guys for having me. Everyone, thank you for listening. Um, I appreciate you dealing with my... Uh, my high energy. And so if anyone has any questions, and this is, this is something I don't do for a lot of people, but because I love you, Mike, and because I, I, I love Campbell, if anyone has any questions at all, please feel free to reach out to me directly on any social media channel or, or email me through my site and just say, I heard you on Mike Matthews podcast. I have a question and I will get back to you personally. It won't be a member of my staff. It'll be me. So just for you guys, if anything, there's, if there's anything at all I can help you with, let me know. That's awesome. Thank you. And my people are communicative, so I'm warning you. It's <laughs> good. good. I like that. Okay, awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much. Sure.
Hey, it's Mike again. Hope you like the podcast. If you did, uh, go ahead and subscribe. I put out new episodes every week or two um, where I talk about all kinds of things related to health and fitness and general wellness. Also, head over to my website at www.muscleforlife.com where you'll find not only past episodes of the podcast, but you'll also find uh, a bunch of different articles that I've written. Um, I release a new one almost every day, actually. I release kind of like four to six new articles a week. Um, and you can also find my books and everything else that I'm involved in over at muscleforlife.com. All right. Thanks again. Bye.